Okay, our next speaker on the fireside chat will be Amber. I know you have a couple of questions, Amber, so please go ahead. All right, I'll guess I'll uh, ask my question about fear first. Um, I know you probably talked about it already, but every time I hear you speak about fear, it helps me. And this is, you know, based, I'm asking the question because of my own experiences. Um, just what do we do when we feel overwhelmed by the fear that we find and, um, you know, self-limiting beliefs and even experiences that seem to solidify these root fears? Um, I do see like the, you know, my own family, my immediate family, that has these same root fears and how they manifest in their life, um, you know, which in first my own and just thinking it, it seems to strengthen it somehow that it's all like netted together and in dreams and in simulations, it's, you know, say there's the root fear of feeling inadequate. There's also just this tinge. It's like they're so closely related of fear of the unknown, fear of death, fear of vulnerability, that they're all kind of wrapped around each other. Um, so I guess what's your advice when we feel overwhelmed? And it's also unearthed some attitudes that I would rather not admit that I have like, Oh no, I don't think I can do this. Those sorts of, you know, things that are triggered by the panic of how, how it can be. And, you know, my own resistance in, in the non-physical is so apparent and so strong that it's, it's startling. So what do we do when we run into that? Well, first thing to do, Amber, is to just stop thinking about it. You think If you think too much, same thing I said to Vanessa, if you think too much about it, you'll just get twisted around the axle and you won't, you know, you'll just get frustrated because you won't be able to come to any kind of a conclusion of, you know, what you ought to do about it. You'll be much better to feel your way through it than to think your way through it. So, when you when you feel these these uh, fears, the fear the fear of being inadequate is a big one. Yes, that's a root fear. You know, it's everywhere. Um, so when Vanessa says, "Well, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I shouldn't do it because I'd have to, you know, be a public speaker, and you know that would be a problem." Or uh, maybe it's just my ego that wants me to do this, and it's not really a good thing. All of those are the fear of being inadequate, the fear of not doing it right the fear of being wrong, the fear of failure, and they're all connected. You're right. All these fears are are connected with each other. They're all part of the same thing. Once you have some basic fears, those fears, you know, grow and spread and, and uh, combine with each other to make new fears, and fear begets fear. So you, the thing to do is just pick one. Pick one. Don't pick the hardest one. Pick something that's that's easy or something that you have that's kind of annoying, but uh, you know, like like with Vanessa, it would be like the fear of public speaking. You see, that's not a root fear like the fear of being inadequate, but it's it's a smaller fear. And just work on that until you get rid of it, because the the hardest one to get rid of is the first one. After that, the process gets easier and faster. So if you feel all this fear. And and the fact that you do feel a lot of fear means that you're progressing. You are growing because most people, if you say, if you tell them, well, you're generally, you know, all your choices are motivated by fear, ego, and belief, they won't believe that. They'll say, no, not me. I maybe have a little fear here and there, but I really don't have very many. And they certainly don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, 
uh, make my choices for me. But then if they grow up, they realize that that's not the case. You see, you've grown up to the point that you realize there's fear, you know, right up to your eyebrows, all sorts of fears, big ones, little ones, rude ones, um, you know, all sorts of little fears about all sorts of things. And that's what becomes overwhelming. It's like, oh, where am I going to start? What am I going to do with all of this fear? Well, the first thing is just pick one and try to get rid of it. Not such a big one. Pick a little one and just get over it. You know, something that makes you angry, something that upsets you, something that you do when you interact with your, you know, your mother or your father or your spouse or your children. You know, they're the they're your big teachers or those people that are close to you. Something that you interact and whenever you interact, whenever this subject comes up, whenever this thing happens, you get upset. Well, deal with that. You know, whenever your children fail to do their homework or whenever your spouse leaves these underwear and socks laying on the floor for you to pick up or whatever else that kind of gets you going, then just say, I'm going to deal with that. I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm going to deal with it with in a positive way, not allowing myself to get aggravated or upset or annoyed over it. I'm just going to accept it and I'll see if I can. You know, I'll, I'll try to maybe tell the person uh, how I feel about it. But if that doesn't change things, then I'll just accept it is the way they are. And I'll find some more positive way to deal with it other than getting upset. When I say deal, when I say deal with it, it doesn't mean let it go. It still may be a problem you need to deal with, but deal with it without getting upset, without getting annoyed, without getting angry. See, deal with it without the negativity. That's really the key. It's not that you don't have to deal with the problem or just let the problem go. It's deal with the problem without any negative feelings, without feeling that, uh, you know, you're abused or, you know, it's not my role to do this or somebody else ought to do that or I don't get the credit that I ought to get for the things that I do. All that's negative stuff. So just pick one of those. I'm sure you'll find one and uh, get, get over it. And it may take you a while, but it'll be the it'll be the uh, the hardest one is the first one. That's why I say you just pick a, an easy one and then start working on others. And pretty soon you'll be getting rid of them easily. Instead of taking you six months or a year to get over them, you're getting rid of them, you know, in a couple of weeks. And then you can finally get down to those root fears of where is all this stuff coming from anyway? Ah, it's that fear of you know that's that inadequacy. It's the, um, the the being insecure. It's that sort of thing. Being unappreciated, being un, unlovable. You know, not being all the things that you could be. Not being a good enough mother, or a good enough wife, or a good enough school teacher, or whatever it is you do in your life, or whatever relationships you have. Um, all of that will go away. And guess what? When it does, you'll be the happiest, smiley person. And uh, everybody will just enjoy being around you because you'll be so positive and and everybody will come to you with their problems because you won't ever be judgmental and tell them what to do. You'll just give them uh, advice that's not uh, direction. So that's what you do. You just start someplace and start working on it. As long as you just stay in the I'm thinking about it mode and I'm seeing all these things, but 
I really don't know what to do because they're all there. And when I get that button pushed, I always get upset. Well, pick that button and say, I'm going to work on that button and make it go away. So when that person says that to me, it'll just be okay. I'll deal with it positively. Thank you, Tom. And I know that the fear of inadequacy is one of the big ones. I did, you know, reach out for help and I had this simulation. I had a few simulations and one was just kind of like, it almost seemed like practice, like watching the shadowy figure, this, you know, it's very symbolic uh, simulation that is deeply rooted in the collective consciousness. So it was like this mountaintop and the shadowy figure. And it was you know, feeling that writhing of the ego rise up within you and still staying still, which that was helpful. I mean, but I, I'm not, you know, I need to do that and master that. I am kind of spinning and I, I recognize that I'm in the same kind of like fear loops for decades now, it seems. And it's just very overwhelming. And then the second one was the accepting the fear of inadequacy and it wasn't like, because intellectually I can say, okay, I accept I have these fears, but it wasn't like that. It was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be annihilated because I'm, I'm inadequate and I moved forward. And, and the only reason I think that I was able to go through that was because I, I had help and it was held there for me. And um, a, simula- a couple of times, I had a couple opportunities recently and I just kind of skedaddled out of there so fast like a cockroach when you turn on the lights (laughs) and I um you know I laughed at myself but it's like geez that's that's pretty intense so um what you said is helpful and I appreciate it and I will think of what I can do I think there I have some opportunities in relationship that I can work on so (laughs) yeah once you find once you start getting rid of a fear uh that fear will push back So you should expect that when you say, well, I'm not going to let this upset me anymore. And you start to get rid of that fear. That fear will start to loom up. You'll start getting these feelings of uh, um, not only before it was just annoying, but now it's somebody's abusing you, you see. And it gets gets bigger and uglier and blacker because the fear doesn't want to be let go of. So it tends to want to... uh, push back against you getting rid of it. So whatever you try to get rid of, expect it to to try to make that fear as big and dark and black and ugly as possible so that you'll stop trying to get rid of it. You just have to persist on through that and uh, take a whole bunch of small victories will eventually end up to a, a big victory. Okay. That sounds terrifying, but okay, Tom. (laughs) I mean, I had one, one experience where I knew I made this decision. I'm a ethical vegan and I made a decision based out of fear with a job opportunity. And it seemed like, and I could see myself doing it. I basically sabotaged myself for a dream that would have fit with somebody who's vegan, you know, with an animal rights organization. I ended up working somewhere where I was sifting through, and I had no idea this was going to be a part of the job, paperwork that was from a slaughterhouse, and the stench was horrible. And I was like, how did I end up here? (laughs) Well, you made a poor decision. So it kind of gets caricature-like in a way. So, yeah. Anyway, that... That's really helpful, and I, I always appreciate that you're willing to give us so much time and so much energy and into our questions because it is very helpful. You're welcome. Okay, so I do have another question um, about an experience that I had with 
my third eye, I guess, um, about three years ago, <clears throat> I, I had this lucid dream uh, where my third eye was filling with light. Um, and around that time, I was putting, I, I started to put stones on my body because my idea was that I was going to use this symbolic thing to uproot all my self-limiting beliefs and my fear and my ancestral patterns and things, which I started to feel pretty sick pretty quickly. These things that, you know, don't it makes me dizzy. It makes me feel sick, these deeply rooted things. But anyway, so it was around that time. I'm not really sure what came first. But anyway, I had this experience where my third eye was filling with light. And then I began to feel um, pulsating and pressure, pressure that would, you know, I'd get this image of like, you know, shop class where they have the, the wood vice and you're clamping the wood together. It would just get so intense. And a lot, you know, when I was at work, I worked in a metaphysical shop. It would be like, if I I think, you know, when people were directing energy at me, which would happen often, it would get that way or certain parts of the shop or interacting with certain people. And I started to think, or doing divination, I started to think, okay, this is good because when it wasn't so intense, this means that I'm maybe f going into a different, um, you know, I'm expanding my consciousness or something and I really am trying. But then I started to think maybe this is fear because it's, um, it was uncomfortable. And I, I also considered maybe it was a medical condition and I maybe I needed an MRI or something, but I had this guy come in who he did cement flooring for a living, but then he ended up telling me, you know, nobody knows this, but I do this. I'm learning this certain kind of shamanism. And he started talking about the chakras and everything. And he looked at my, my head and my crown area. And he said, you know, you have something going on. Have you been experiencing, you know, dizziness, pressure, all this stuff. And I was super uncomfortable around the people that I worked with. So I lied through my teeth and I said, no, no, I'm not experiencing that stuff. But it, it made, it kind of made me think, okay, maybe this is non-physical to have that um, lucid dream where my third eye is filling with light and then to be experiencing things and to have that experience with him coming in and asking me anyway, I could never really move the energy and I don't feel that whatever was happening completed because I'm, it's starting to come back a little bit and I'm just wondering, you know, what could it be? Is it fear? Is it sensitivity? Um, how do I move the energy? What do I do when it happens? I mean, I just, it happened, you know, today, like I had picked up the MBT book and I got a little, um, a pressure in my third eye. So I don't know. I just feel it now and again. I'm wondering what your advice is about that. Cause I feel like I didn't complete something that started. Okay. I'll start out with the same way I did the, the uh, last question. And that is stop thinking about it so much. Uh, the more you try to intellectualize it, you know, the, the worse the problem is going to be. Um, work with your intuition more. Just let it be. Don't feel like there's something you have to do with it or any place you have to move it or anything else. It will go the way it goes. It will do it will do its own thing. And that's okay. It's likely that what you're feeling there is a a physical metaphor, if you will, it, that has to do with your own sense of growth, your own sense of doubt, uh, your own uh Know, your own pattern of becoming, and you create that pain, that pressure there, because that is a symbol, that is a metaphor for something, you know, that has to do with your own growth and your own process. So that is 
probably the source of it. And the thing to do is don't think about it. That just makes it worse. The more you try to pin it down, the more you try to decide intellectually, what should I do with it? Should I move it up and get rid of it? Should I move it down through my body? Should I make this nice little trace down my spine in just the right way and then back up like the Kundalini? You know, what should I do with this thing? All of that just creates more trouble. You don't have to do anything with it. Just be with it. Just be with it and let it do whatever it does. In other words, you can let your attention go there, but don't feel like there's anything you have to do in particular with it. Deal with it more from an intuitive level, not from an intellectual level. Don't think about it. Just be with it. Okay? Just be with it. And then when you just be with it, you'll probably feel some of the stuff that's going into creating it. You'll feel things. Ideas will come. Pictures will come. All sorts of things may come that will be useful to you. But as long as you try to think about it and figure out what you should do, you're probably missing the point of you know, connecting with it at a being level rather than an intellectual level. So just let that, let that be. Be with it. Become, a, you know, become one with it. Be the, be the force that's causing the pressure there and see what it's thinking. What is it feeling? What is it doing? So instead of thinking of it as an outside thing that you have to somehow do the right thing with, uh, think of it as a, a natural uh, thing or perhaps a, a, a metaphorical thing and just let it unravel. Let it unravel and, and uh, see what your intuition comes up with as it happens. But when it's going on, don't be thinking about, oh, look, that, that feeling I get. Oh, that's getting pretty intense. That feels like somebody's, you know, punching in you know, my forehead, you know, with a hammer. Uh-oh, what if it gets worse? Then, you know, then what am I going to do? You know, this could be crippling. And you, get, you start thinking about it. Your fear comes into play about what it might be that's not good. You know, do I need an MRI? And your fear comes into it. Uh, you know, even the fear about I don't want my coworkers to know that I have this. You know, there's another fear, right, of, of what they might think or so on. So you just need to let all that fear go. Be with it. Let, it. let it go or do whatever it is. But be gently with it, not trying to name it, not trying to figure it out, not trying to do much of anything with it other than let it, let it work itself out. And it probably will. The reason I think that you keep getting it or it comes back or it gets intense to where it's hard to, hard to stand is that you keep intellectualizing, worrying about it. Uh, fears get connected to it. You're not sure. It's uncertain. You know, you have some fear of uncertainty. And all of that stuff then starts to turn into almost like an obsession. You know, it gets to where it's bothering you. And then it's going to be higher pressure and more pressure and more uncertainty. And it just goes downhill. It starts to add to itself. So break that cycle. Let it be. Join with it. And uh, just tell it, you know, well, whatever you're about, just go ahead. Do it. You know, let me let me feel whatever it is you want to do. And instead of pushing at it or trying to, to think it through, just feel it through. I think that would be a good a, a good approach. And you'll probably find that it'll lighten up a whole lot and it won't be so much pressure. The third eye is a metaphor anyway. You know, it's not really a, a physical thing. It's a metaphorical thing. So your, your, your metaphor is beginning to cause you pain. 
Yeah. That means you, that means that means that you're too twisted up around it. That you're turning yeah. it into something painful because the pain represents the fear, represents the problem, the uncertainty, all those things that that are uncertain about it that that worry you. That's where the pain comes from. So if you just let it go, it, it will subside, and and you may even learn a few things from it. Get some interesting pictures about, you know, about uh, causes and and uh, things you need to work on or whatever. Turn it into something positive. Not worry about it being something negative or that you're not doing it right. You know, that's a that's a problem. You're you are doing it right. Just the fact that you're doing it, that's right. And then we see the the feedback you get, and then you learn from the feedback. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, I never knew how much I must have bought into the whole chakra metaphor, probably like as a teen or something. But it was, and it's kind of a helpful way to organize information. But um, yeah, I do I do overanalyze, and when we are using our intuition, and we're sort of this kind of goes back, I guess, to my first question, and things pop up, things that we need to work on, or experiences we might have had things like that how do we you know you look at i guess traditional therapy you see i see a lot of people who soak in their issues just kind of soak there so what's the what's the proper way to handle that how do do you do you get involved in those things that come up or how i'm just not quite sure have an intent have an intent that you want to get rid of fear you want to get rid of problems have an intent that you don't have to understand everything, that you can live gracefully with uncertainty. There's a lot of things that you don't have to understand or name or, or come up with a process to describe that you can just exist with them. So have those intents that you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to get wrapped up around it. Just let it be however it is and be easy with it. Be gentle. Be okay with it. Not, uh, you know, so don't be fearful of it in any way. Just let it be. And whatever it is, it, it is. It's okay. Don't struggle. Don't struggle with it or struggle to know it or struggle to name it. Struggle is the problem. Struggle, struggle is why it gets so intense because you're struggling with it. You're fighting with it rather than just letting it be. So, yeah, that's, it's, it's your intention that you're going to absorb it let it go, however it is, whatever metaphor works for you, and that's going to be good. However it works out, it's going to be good. Just let it do whatever it's going to do, and it's going to be good. Have that and get rid of it without any fear, and everything will start to work out for you. It'll get a lot easier. Thank you, Tom. Tom, we've got another question from Vancouver from Gail. Oh, I'm unmuted. Hi. Hi. Yeah, it's kind of related to the previous question. Um, For many years when I was meditating and doing a lot of meditation practice and doing a lot of yoga practice at the same time, this phenomena began occurring where I would, my body would involuntarily shake um, every time I sat down to meditate. And it started with just a little bit in my head shaking, and then it became more of my body shaking. And, you know, I tried 
to just observe it and let it be what it was and not get too attached to it. And it, it just seemed like the more I let go, the more intense it became. It doesn't happen quite as much these days, but um, I do notice it again from time to time. And, you know, in yoga tradition, they would probably say, well, that's part of your prana body unraveling, you know, blocks and knots and purifying itself. My shamanic friends say it's, you know, the presence of a non-physical being or a spirit or, you know, some other energy um, connecting with mine. And, you know, my friends who are more into science and physiology will just say it's some, you know, glitch in your nervous system, perhaps, or, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, I would very much like to hear what your take is on that. You know, those those things that you got about it, you know, it's maybe just a nerve or it's uh, a, a being or it's part of your energy shaking out bugs or something. Uh, all of that, of course, is metaphorical. Uh, and the shaking probably has to do with, you know, you're relaxing and you may have some... Uh, I don't know whether this is the case or not, but perhaps you can tell me whether this fits. You may have some underlying um, fear or not not in consonance that you don't quite feel right about, you know, the meditation. It's something that, that's, that could be, a, there's a little something there that doesn't quite feel right to you often if you have that kind of a feeling like you're 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 trying to tell somebody a story but you're not quite sure that the story really you know is a real story or not or whether it's the right thing and the shaking is sometimes a body's way of telling you uh to be careful back up uh you're not really at ease with what it is you're doing kind of thing and that may be a thing that you have with with meditation. You're not really completely at ease with with what you're what you're doing. So that's a possibility. Uh, another possibility is that you're a really good meditator, and you're immediately getting into uh, a pulsation state upon the beginning of your meditation. And in a pulsation state, you just feel like you're elastic and you're and you're vibrating. And it could be something as as uh, you know, as easy as that, in which case it's a it's a good thing, not a bad thing. But in any case, just notice that it's there and then accept it and just go on. In other words, just let it be. Try to ignore it the best you can. If you give it attention, it'll tend to get stronger. If you take your attention away from it, it'll tend to get weaker. So just don't give it much attention. Note it's there. You can't deny it. If you deny it, it'll get stronger. You just have to say, yeah, it's there, but it is whatever it is, and it won't, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll just be uncertain about it. Who knows? But it'll just stay there and ignore it. That would be the first thing. And if it gets worse when you do that, then it's probably something that's fear-related. If it goes away when you do that, it probably isn't fear-related. So that would be one way you could tell whether it's fear-related or not. If it's a pulsation state starting early, then uh, just, again, let it be. You don't have to 
analyze it or know anything about it. Just let it be however it is, and it'll probably just fade after a while in your meditation. But if not, you can uh, give it something useful to do. You know, associate it. Make your own metaphor. Make a positive metaphor. Say, ah, when my body shakes like that, I'm putting energy into getting rid of my fears. I'm uh, healing, uh, you know, my sick mother-in-law, whatever. You can make an association that's a positive thing to do, and then you'll have that positive association with it, which will turn it. It'll, it'll kind of uh, remake it into something else that's positive, which then eventually it'll go away. So that's another thing you can do. Just rename the metaphor to some other metaphor that's a positive thing that you'd like to do and let that shaking represent that positive thing. And uh, that then totally takes what was there, re-channels it into something else, and the original thing will probably just kind of slink off into the, into the background while the new positive thing kind of takes charge. So those are some of the things you can do with it. But the body being a virtual body just yeah, it reflects the consciousness in many ways. And some of these ways are physical. Sometimes they're pains. Sometimes people who are very fearful have a lot of fear that they're dealing with. They'll start to get, um, you know, they'll feel like bugs are crawling under their skin. Uh, they'll feel like their hair is standing up on their head. They'll, they'll hear voices that tell them rude things. They'll just get all of this phenomena going on, and they tend to believe that it's something outside of them attacking them, but it really is their own consciousness. It's their own fear expressing itself in physical terms. And it's a problem because the more frightened they get of it because they can't sleep, they can't work, the stuff is going on, it's distracting, it's annoying, the more they get wrapped up around it, the worse it gets. So it's one of those things that just, you know, gets worse and worse and worse. So the last thing you want to do with something like that is give it a lot of your attention or th overthink it. You need to just let things like that be, and they'll tend, to, they'll tend to go away. So that would be a couple of suggestions, things to try and, and what to do with it. But don't come to a conclusion there's something wrong. There's something here that's a problem. You know, there's something negative going on. I shouldn't be shaking like that. If you define it as a problem you'll probably turn it into one whether it is or not. So don't define it as a problem. Just live with it. Let your intuition discover what it, what it is if it wants to avail itself to your intuition. Does that help any? Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, it definitely does. Thank you. I, I, as you were speaking, I was getting... Uh, a little more clarity around it and realizing that it probably is connected to some fear because I naturally feel some fear when it comes up because it's an involuntary sort of thing where my body just start. it feels like my body's taking over and I don't have much conscious control over what's happening. And then when it gets really strong, I, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of movement. I feel like a rocket ship <laughs> about to take off. Yeah. And then, and that, that to get to that point requires a lot of surrender on my part. I found the more I let go, the more I just let it be, the stronger it becomes. And as you're talking, I, I was wondering if it can be related to, if it can be sort of my experience of what precedes an out-of-body experience, because 
I also have some fear around, you know, letting go of yeah. my body and allowing something like that to happen. Um, so perhaps there's a relationship there. Yeah, I suspect when you say it gets stronger when you let it go, what you really are doing is it gets stronger when you stop trying to constrain it. You stop trying to uh, force it to be some way, but you're not really letting it go. Your mind is still connected to it. You're still feeling it. You're still aware of it. You're still processing it. So mm -hmm. you're not really letting it go. You just stop trying to, to bully it. You stop trying to make it stop. Uh, right. But your, your mind's still connected to it. You're still feeling it. You're still very aware of it. And I think that even makes it worse because you are, you are still there. You don't like it. You, you're feeling it's a negative thing. And yeah, you let go trying to, try to control it, but you haven't let go of it as far as it happening. You're still, you're still engaged. You're still engaged with it. And that's why it gets worse. It's the engaging with it that makes it, that makes it worse. You have to disengage and let it be. Yes, that the pulsation state I was talking about is something that happens not necessarily just before you go out of body, but when you get in a good theta state, a good meditation state, you'll get the pulsations as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that something awful is about to happen. So try to try to not give it your attention, and as well as not uh, manipulate it or try to make it go away. Just let it go and don't be afraid of it. It's a, vir it's a virtual body, and the and the uh, consciousness can produce all kinds of strange physical things inside your body. So just let it go and figure it's not a big thing. It's not a problem. I'm not having a heart attack. You know, it's it's not causing me any difficulty. It's just there. It's one of these odd things that happens sometimes, and you know, have that kind of gentle attitude with it, and not. Uh, not feel fearful or not get wound up about it or, or not just focus your attention on it, waiting for it to calm down because that'll just make it worse. Try to focus your attention away from it. Start thinking about something else. You know, that would, that would help. Start thinking about, uh, you know, sending energy to heal somebody you know who needs healing. Put your mind elsewhere and just figure that is just something that's some, some uh, thing that has to do with your consciousness uh, probably with fear, you're feeling that, and you just need to not get negative about it and not get upset with it and not give it any of your attention. Disengage and leave it alone, and it'll probably dissipate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. Okay, Tom, we've got a question from Mike in Australia. Mike says, uh, Grandma never spoke about spiritual practices or concepts. She never went to church or read any spiritual books. She never spoke about the afterlife. She didn't meditate or burn incense. She loved rock music, tattoos, smoking, and swearing. She was also the first one up every morning feeding the entire family. She'd clean up after everyone every single day, listen intently to everyone who spoke to her, and hug everyone and love them all unconditionally. She never said a bad word about Trump. Or anyone else, especially those who had opposing political, spiritual, or religious views. She never tried to impress, had no enemies, and would help anyone and everyone with no expectations whatsoever. She drank alcohol and coffee, ate meat, and even smoked weed. 
She was always joyful and radiated love and kindness. Is this a form of spirituality? If it is, then why don't we recognize it as so? What exactly is spirituality then? Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, Grandma is a is a uh, is a quite a character. Uh, yes, all of those things that she did that were good things—the helping people, all the hugs, all the you know being there to help, uh, the services she provided, the love and caring she provided—all of that is is being spiritual. That's a high quality of consciousness that does all that stuff. The fact that she smokes and drinks and swears and whatever else, well, those are all incidentals. Those aren't that important. That's just a, kind of a wrapper. You know, she probably picked that wrapper up, probably saw it in a movie someplace and thought it was really cool, so she adopted it. You know, that's not what's inside. What's inside is the way she acts, the way she interacts with people that she's giving and caring and loving and and that sort of thing. That's what's important. Yes, I'd say Grandma was a very spiritual lady, whether she never said anything about any of those topics and whether she swears and fusses and, you know, does all that stuff and smokes weed and whatever. None of that is important. The important stuff is how she acts, how she interacts with other people. So, yeah, Grandma looks like a high quality of consciousness to me, despite all the rest of that stuff that maybe would upset other people. I don't find any of that really important. That's just style. That's not substance. What she does and the way she loves and cares, that's substance. So don't mix up style with substance. And matter of fact, her style actually seems pretty cool. She's, uh, she's evidently a very unusual grandma. I, you know, I tell her, give her my best. Tell her to keep on, keep on going, Granny. Okay, Tom, thank you. <laughs> Nicholas has a question for you. A friend of mine watches all your YouTube videos and has a question. He's an English teacher at the basic level, and he had a dream where he was teaching one of my real-life students. And when I was checking the student's work, I saw the word indicative in the dream. He didn't know what it meant, and even when I woke up, he didn't know either, so he Googled it. And the dictionary said, having recurrent dreams is not necessarily indicative of any psychological problem. His question is, are his dreams trying to tell him something? Well, it sounds like his dreams are trying to tell him to pay attention to his dreams. <laughs> that would be the message, I think. So I would suggest that he start a dream log and uh, start uh, having an intention to remember his dreams and write them down because it sounds like his dreams have something to say and uh, they yet don't have a good enough connection to start saying it. So little things like that that happen are basically an invitation to get more. So yes, uh, start, start a dream log, start writing them down, start intending to remember and uh, see what happens. Okay, Nicholas has a couple of other questions, but they're short. <laughs> Watching huge landscapes and stars makes us think bigger thoughts. My question is, does it, ex does it exist, um, these triggers that can give us the same effect, even if you're inside your house, at work in places where the visually PMR are not as fascinating? So do these triggers exist elsewhere? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's Obviously, this is a translated... Um, do triggers give us the same effect if you're inside your house at work in places where 
visually, but PMR isn't as, as interesting. Yeah, I, is I'll what I can that. get out of it. Yeah. Um, yes, you can get those same feelings. You know, you go uh, hike to the top of a mountain and get out and look, and it's all inspiring, you know, to see the, you know, the, the rugged countryside around and the snow-capped peaks and so on. And that can be a very um, spiritual moment in the sense that you feel kind of connected, a piece of nature, one with all the stuff that you see. And you can also develop that same feeling even when you're sitting in front of your computer at the office, all you have to do is close your eyes for a moment, bring back that, you know, that, uh, that scene, that feeling that you had, and that feeling should just come right back to you. You can experience it again. So there's no need to have to climb the mountain you know, every day to get that experience. Once you've climbed it once, you can have that experience as many times as you want, and it will still give you the same benefits the same relaxation the same feeling of being connected to everything that it did in the first time you just have to go there in your mind and re-experience it that re-experiencing will have all the benefits of the original okay um tom uh, Nicholas has another question. You have a thousand choices to make every day. And particularly, I'm talking about the choices you have with interactions with other people. This is one of your quotes. Uh, does that mean that when you're not talking with a single person in a day, you don't progress spiritually? Not necessarily. It depends on what you're doing while you're not talking. Now, if you never talk to another human being, if you stay... You know, like the uh, aesthetic monks sometimes did, uh, they'd go get in a cave and stay there and not talk or interact with anybody for decades. If you do that, you can still grow yourself in some ways. There's some things that uh, that you can work on, but you're limited in your application of your spirituality by being limited in your interactions with people. So people are an important part of it because that's where the application of your spirituality is that's where your buttons get pushed that's where you have to you know walk the talk rather than just talk the talk so interacting with people is significant and it is important but that doesn't mean that you can't make any spiritual gains when you're isolated you can but you you know you need you need both actually you need some time alone to process things and and do some inner reflection and and, uh, you know, um, explore inner space, that takes some time, and that's done best alone. But also you need people to interact with because that brings out another whole set of, of choices that you don't have when you're alone, and you need, to, you need to explore both sides of that. Typically, it's in our relationships is where the, the rubber meets the road. That's where the real challenges are. That's where we get... Um, you know, that's where we get upset. That's where we get angry. That's where we feel abused. That's where all this ego and fear comes out is when we get into those deep personal relationships. And if you're alone and never talk to people, you don't have those opportunities to deal with those fears. You may have those fears and and you there's no opportunity, nothing that shows them up. So that whole part of your growth would be neglected. So you need both. You need to get out and be social and connect with people. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you kind of have the personality of a hermit, 
You need to do it anyway. You know, I'm a, I'm a good example of that. You know, left alone, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go out of my front door, you know, but uh, whenever I had to get groceries. But uh, that's not a good way to, to grow. You're much better if you have to interact with lots of different kinds of people. So, yes, you can grow on your own, but only uh, within limitations. Okay, Tom. <laughs> um, just adding a little bit to that, you talking about processing things. Um, are we are we necessarily penalized for taking a really long time to process things? No, no. You there's this is not a this is not a time test. You know this growing up thing. You take all the time you need. Growing up is has to be in your own way, done uh, the way you need to do it. Your path is unique. It doesn't follow anybody else's path. Whatever at the time seems to be the right thing for you to do, well, you should do that. And then look back at it and decide whether that was a good thing to do. Are you really learning all the things you'd like to learn? And if you're not sure, then go try something else and see if that adds. Life is a is a exploration. Life is an experimental process. You just go try. You do. You interact, or you spend time by yourself. You do all these things and see what that gives to you. See what you learn from it. See what you can get out of that. And when you feel like you've gotten about all as much as you can out of that, then do something different and see what you get out of that. And if you do something and you don't get anything good out of it, well, don't do that anymore. Go do something else. So it's, a, it's, an, exper it's an experimental thing. Go be. Go experiment. Just connect. Work on it, and the path will unravel in front of your feet. You'll know whether you're making good progress or not. So it's no time test. It may take you, you know, it may take you a decade, and somebody else might do the same thing in a month. That doesn't matter. So what? It's not that you're slow or that you're failing. You have to do it at your own speed in your own way. There's no other way for you to do it. So don't uh, compare yourself to to anybody else. Just do your own thing in your own way, but then always looking back and see what the consequences are, what the effect is, what have you learned from it, what what value has it been? And then after you make that assessment, then either continue it or try doing something else and then assess that. Can't just get in a rut and do the same thing all the time because that will create limitations. There's value in diversity. The diversity of your experience is important. Just the same thing over and over again gets in a rut. You learn something from it, and then you're kind of stuck there. Thank you, Tom. He also asks about sleep states. Um, are light sleep, deep sleep, and REM sleep three different data streams? Um, deep sleep, generally you're not aware of any data stream. That's when you're completely unconscious. Light sleep... You are, you know, you're still kind of, you're still aware of some things in a light sleep. You're kind of aware of what's going on, the little noises around you, and uh, that sort of thing. So you're still getting a data stream, just not a whole lot of data, a little sense data. Maybe if your eyes are shut, most of it's going to be hearing. Some of it may be tactile, but um, yeah, that would be a lighter. But they're not, you know, it's not a different data stream. It's still the same data stream that sends data to your consciousness. Awareness is your consciousness, so it's not like it's some other data stream. 
it's just your same data stream with different kinds of data in it. A light sleep, it just gives you a little bit of information. Uh, a deep sleep, you probably don't get any data at all. If you're really unconscious, unless you're doing things uh, that are uh, not in your intellect, not part of your awake consciousness. And then the uh, REM sleep where you're having dreams, well, then you get a data stream. Your conscious is downloading a data stream, and it, it deals with those dreams. So it's just one data stream producing different kinds of data at different times. Okay, Tom. The next question does come from Vinicius, who has uh, a follow-up question to the last question we did, or the question before that. Go ahead, Vinicius. Okay, so it's about uh, not interacting too much with people, uh, as um, this other question raised up, because I spend my, my time usually pushing buttons on a computer. And is there any way, any tips that you could give to me that I could push those buttons in a more, in a more loving way? <laughs> uh, pushing the buttons in a more loving way. That's a tough one. You probably don't have much of an emotional experience pushing those buttons. They're probably just the buttons that need to be pushed. Unless, of course, you're playing some kind of a video game and you're doing things like Grand Theft Auto or whatever, then you're probably not pushing your buttons in a loving way. You're probably pushing your buttons like a homicidal maniac or something else that's in the virtual reality. But if you're you know, typing an email or if you're doing other kinds of things, that may have an emotional content to it that you have to do as you as you uh, as you type. So your interaction with your computer isn't just a sterile intellectual connection. There should be some emotive, some kind of being level connection to what it is you're doing. Do you love what you're doing? Do you care about it? You know, is it thrilling? Is it you know, you're writing that. Uh, you know, that letter that you've been putting off for a long time because it's really hard to write. You know, what is it that you're doing? And the people you interact with with that computer, I, I assume you're interacting with other characters, with other people in the computer. If you are interacting with human beings somewhere down the road, like sending an email, then the thoughts and the feelings you have toward them are important. And it'll show up in the way you express yourself. The words you choose to say, the words you choose not to say, that all carries a lot of information. And it has to do with you, you know, who you are at the being level and your, your level of feeling and caring and connection. So, yes, you can express yourself even behind a keyboard. And you can learn from those expressions instead of just, you know, uh, seeing another human being as a, as a robot and you're feeding them information. You know, start to think of that other person that you're writing that email to as as, uh, as somebody who has feelings and issues and, and problems and, and skills and see them more as a whole person, not just somebody who's going to digest your information and, and uh, act on it, but, uh, you know, a whole person with all sorts of components to them. And if you do, then your messages that you send will work better. They will uh, actually communicate better. You won't do it intellectually, but just the things you say and don't say will will make a difference. You know, like do you start out with, hi, George, or do you not put anybody's name? You just write. 
That little personal touch of, hi, George, means something to people. Whether they kind of skip over it or not, it actually carries a little meaning. Um, and if whether you sign your name and, and say, uh, you know, Benic, Benic, all right, Benicus, is that right? Vinicius. Vinicius. Whether you sign your little Vinicius or whether you just leave it unsigned, that also says something. You see, all these things communicate something to who you're, to who you're talking to. Whether you ask them about their day or, you know, whether their sick wife ever got better or how's their baby doing, even though that's not your subject, it's just a business letter, that means something. So as you develop your caring and your interest in other people, it'll show just by the little bits and pieces. Not like you have to write a paragraph, you know, uh, you know write poetry to them or something, but just two or three words will make a difference and show that, you know, you're... You, you see them as something more than just a another cog in a you know in, in a big machine that's just doing business, and that will make that business actually work a lot better because they will start thinking of you more as a human being and less as a cog in a machine, and they will start telling you things that otherwise they just didn't bother to mention, and the whole thing will start to become more profitable for both of you. So yes, you can. Uh, you can grow and put, put yourself and put your feelings and put your caring and all of that into, you know, into those keys, into what it is you type and how you relate to people. So, yes, you can put more, put more love into the, into the touch, not so much the touch on the keyboard, but, you know, what, what keys you decide to, to punch and which ones you don't. Yeah, uh, because I, I work with coding and, and reading papers and stuff. So, um, but uh, does that also contribute? If I'm doing that better, does that also contribute in a way from my own quality? Even if it's like most of it for myself or for, for the people that are using the software, I don't know. Yeah, whenever, whatever you do, you need to do it well. So if you do things very well you know the best you can you make it an art form it's not just you putting out answers to questions or giving people information they need instead of you know instead of seeing it that way see it as a communication between between people and human beings see that whatever it is you do even if it's you know even if it's a Something very menial. Let's say uh, what somebody does is walk around and along in parks with a stick with a nail sticking out the other end, picking up pieces of paper, and that's what they do. You know, that's their job. They walk around in the park and pick up trash paper that other people drop. Well, you can turn that into a meditation. You can see that as helping beautify the world, as helping reduce entropy, as uh, you know, cleaning up the mess that others. You know, being part of the solution. So you have to look at it that way. If you look at it as, oh, man, I got the bottom of the barrel job. I don't get paid much, and all I do is pick up other people's trash. You see it negatively, then it affects you negatively, and you're unhappy. If you see it positively, then, then you can grow from it. It's a, it's, kind of, it's a meditation. It's a part of who you are. So whatever you do. If you're working in, in uh, programming and computer things and you just most of your talk is intellectual or whatever or technical, that's okay. But do it well. Do it like it's an art form. 
do it so that it couldn't be done any better. When somebody wants information, think about, is there something else that you could tell them that might be useful so that you can produce the best quality output possible efficiently? And in that striving to do that, to have the best possible connection or output or help or whatever it is you're doing it and why you're doing it, that you do it as good as could possibly be done. And you do it with, with uh, relish, with caring. You know, so it doesn't matter so much what you do as it matters your attitude as you do it. If it's just something you do, like turning a crank, and you don't relate to it personally, and you don't make it an art form, then you get bored with it. It's just stale. And after a while, you know, you just can hardly stand to go to work because you're just turning a dumb crank. You know, it's not anything you really want to do. So you make turning that crank some kind of an art form. Like I can turn that crank more precisely and better and faster than anybody else. Or even if there's nobody else, do it better than I did it last week. I'm going to get good at it. I'm going to be the best crank turner ever. And uh, it'll be so precise and exactly the right time. And it'll make the whole you know, assembly line move faster because I will be so good at this then you feel good about what you're doing. Even if you're turning a crank, you go home feeling like, wow, I did a good job today. I really turned that crank just the right time, the right way, the right speed. It was perfect. And you'll realize to turn that crank well takes practice. Everything takes practice. Picking up paper with the end of, you know, the pointy stick takes practice. And you get good at it and you get efficient with it and be proud of what you do. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, but make it an art form. Make it something that you can feel like you're you're growing with it you're learning you're you're developing skills you're part of the solution you're an important part of some bigger thing and you're helping make it all work and you're going to do that to the best that you can that sort of thing if you have that attitude then yes you can grow spiritually and and raise the quality of your consciousness in any situation